God. This morning, we're going to talk about a very interesting story of Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. And so I hope this morning we can all learn from the Word of God. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful to have Lizzie be baptized and to see her faith in you. And so uh, grateful for that. I'm so grateful that we can come and run to worship with all the things that are going on in our world. It seems like the world is spinning out of control. But Lord, we know that you are in control. And a lot of these things that happen, it causes us to run back to you. Lord, we know that you're our only hope. Sometimes we get so distracted with so many things in our life, we forget that. But with all that's going on in the world right now, it's, it's good to be able to focus on, in on you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would teach us hope and joy and obedience. Help us to follow after you just like Abraham followed after you. Even with all his mistakes, even with all his flaws, he worshipped you. And so I pray, God, this morning we come with all of our junk, all of our flaws, all of our mistakes, and we come and we worship you. Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning from your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The point for this morning is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at this story of Abraham being called to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And it's such an amazing picture of what the Heavenly Father did with Jesus. You'll see that all throughout this uh, passage. You'll see the parallels between this story and Christ because this whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it all points to Jesus. And Jesus, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all wrote this book through the hands of man. As I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about being called to sacrifice a son, being called to sacrifice a child, and I started thinking about my own children. Uh, my daughter and I, my daughter Liliana, she's 13 now, and um, we just have an amazing special bond. I'm so thankful for her. We often go on daddy-daughter dates. Dads, if you have a daughter at home, I really encourage you to take your daughter out on daddy-daughter dates. Um, this is a date that we had for all-you-could-eat sushi. And uh, things changed because of coronavirus, so they, got to, they were bringing us to our table. That was amazing. We just sat there and just stuffed our face with sushi. Uh, we love eating great food and just having fun and doing silly videos for social media. I uh, love the bond that I have with my daughter. And then my boys, we have a, a bond too, but it's a much different bond. Uh, we like doing stuff together, like being active together. Uh, we like going out golfing. My son Luke had his first ever par on a golf course, so he was super excited about that. And then the next hole, my five-year-old beat him on that hole. So there was a lot of trash talking going on there. And then they're super competitive with fishing too. You know, it's supposed to be out there having a relaxing time, right? But they're always competing against each other to who can get the bigger fish or the bigger uh, animal or sea creatures, they call them. This bond that I have with my kids, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to be called by God to sacrifice one of my children. I mean, it doesn't even seem like I would have anywhere near the strength uh, to be able to do that. So we pick up the story here this morning, uh, right after the birth of Isaac, we talked about last week in uh, Genesis chapter 21, and it fast forwards to uh, when Isaac is a, a teenager, or maybe in his early 20s, 
And Abraham is well over 100 years old at this point, and they're li living in Beersheba along with all of Abraham's extended uh, family, and you can just picture the scene. I mean, they've been waiting for literally decades for Isaac to be born. And now Isaac is growing up, and they're just enjoying Isaac. They're just enjoying their time with them. This is the promise that God had for them. They're enjoying their time as a family together. They're enjoying life that God has called them to. The promise has been fulfilled. And you can just imagine the unique bond that Abraham especially has with Isaac. I mean, I think about the bond that I have with, with my boys, and I think about the promise that Abraham had, Abraham and Sarah had, for 25 years that they were going to have this child at, the, at a very late age, and this child is there. You just imagine Abraham over, over 100 years old trying to keep up with his boy. I mean, sometimes I feel like I have a hard time keeping up with my boys, and I'm 40. I can't imagine being over 100 trying to run around with a, with a teenage boy. And so all of these things are going on. Life is good. And then this curveball happens. And it's interesting the way that God works sometimes. And this is what happens here with the testing of Abraham. This is in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out from the place God told them about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay there with the donkey while I go over, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he, carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took out the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not, you have not withheld your, your, from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up from there in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, he said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time. He said, swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and their enemies, and through your offering, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Just imagine how shocked Abraham must have been that God was calling him to do this. 
I mean, you can just imagine this scene, and God is speaking directly from to him. He knows it's not a mistake. Isaac, the very son who he's been promised for decades, is now here, and now God is calling him to be sacrificed. This makes no sense. God had told him over and over again that his descendants were going to be like those of the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. How is that going to happen? He's the only son. How are descendants going to happen if... He sacrifices his one and only son. Sometimes God's purposes are way bigger than we can understand. Do you ever find yourself asking, God, what on earth are you doing? You ever ask that? I find myself asking that a lot lately. With all the things that are going on in the world, I'm like, God, what is going on here? What is happening here? What, what are you doing? And God is teaching me, and I hope that through this message that he'll continue to teach you to trust and obey. A lot of times when we think of obedience, we think of something bad. We think of when you're a child, you have to obey your parents or you have to obey the rules. But with God, he, he loves obedience because he knows best for us. He knows the whole plan. He knows the whole picture. Now, we don't earn God's favor by our, our obedience. I want you to understand that. That like sometimes people think that it's like a Christian karma system. It's like if I do this... If I go to church, if I go to small group, if I give to the church, then this is what's going to happen. God is going to give me all of these things. It doesn't quite work that way. And I'm glad it doesn't work that way because I think about all the ways that I fall short, all the ways that I don't obey God, all the ways that I uh, don't follow what God's word says. I'm so thankful that there is grace and there is mercy. As we look at these, these scriptures verse by verse, we see a lot of things that stick out that I think is really important that we understand. It says here in verse 1, it says that he, he tested Abraham. This word tested in the original Hebrew is a word that means something like a jeweler looking at a precious gem or precious metal and trying to figure out uh, what's in that gem or what's that jewelry worth. It's really examining it. It's really checking it out. And so this is what God is doing. He's examining uh, Abraham. He's trying to figure out uh, where uh, his faith really is. Then we start seeing the parallel between this story and the story of Jesus as the whole Bible points to Jesus. It says, take your son, your only son. We hear that later on with Jesus, don't we? There's an emphasis here. Take your son, your only son, just like the Heavenly Father took his only son, uh, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is pointing to that. This is happening on, in the region of Moriah, and even now today there's a place called the Dome of the Rock, which actually is a Muslim temple, where this place on Moriah was supposedly to take place. This is the place that, uh, that if you went inside there, it talks about Abraham doing this sacrifice there. And it's just so interesting. That's a Muslim uh, temple now. In verse 3, it's interesting that it's Abraham and not anything about Sarah. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. This was about Abraham's obedience and no one else. Plus, can you imagine that conversation between a husband and a wife? So what are you doing tomorrow, honey? Uh, you and I are just going to go for a little walk. Oh, really? Yeah, we're going to be gone for three days. Well, why are you bringing all that wood with you? And where's the burnt offering? Ah, don't worry about it, sweetie. It's going to be fine. 
Uh, that conversation would have been a little strange. This was about an individual obedience with Abraham to help people, future generations like us, be pointed to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. He rose early in the morning. It's interesting here. We don't see any type of argument with Abraham. I mean, I think if I was told to do this, I think there would be a little bit of argument back with God. Like, what? What what are you calling me to do? Are you supposed to do this? We don't see any of that in Scripture. We see Abraham obeying quickly, quietly, and completely. He says, next, early next morning, we're going to go do this. God has called me to do this. I don't understand it. He spoke directly to me. I'm going to do it. Obeying quickly, quietly, and completely. You guys that are kids out there, you hear that? You hear that? It's a good way to obey your parents. Quickly, quietly, and completely. It's good, it's good advice uh, for kids to follow in their homes. It's interesting in verse 3, it says, When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. I mean, this is so interesting because at the time around Jerusalem, this area would have been a heavily wooded area. He would have had wood wherever he was going. Why did he cut the wood and bring it with him uh, to carry along the way? I think it was a form of accountability for him. That he really wanted to follow what God had told him. He didn't want to have additional steps when he got there because that would have just delayed him from making that decision that he knew was going to be a really, really, really difficult decision to make. He wanted to follow after God. So he said, okay, I'm going to get everything together. I'm going to have everything prepared ahead of time. And this is another way that's symbolic of Jesus, that Ahead of time, the Heavenly Father, before the foundations of the world, were getting things ready, preparing for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You might have noticed when I read through it the first time, it says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Here's another parallel. That on the third day, Jesus died and rose, and he died, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. Verse 5 is really interesting to me and such a picture of faith here. And I long to have faith like this. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. you notice he says we. He's saying we're going to go and worship. And he fully counted on coming back with Isaac. Now, why would he have thought that? I mean, God said that he was going to go and sacrifice, but we see a picture of this in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 19, where it actually says that he even believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead after he sacrificed him. So he knew that God had promised him that there would be generations that came from Isaac. He knew that wouldn't be possible with him being dead, and so he knew God was going to do something. And so he says, we're going to worship and we're going to come back to you, even though he had no idea uh, what, uh, what, is, what it was going to be like. The symbolism continues here between this story and Jesus in verse 6. Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. I mean, this is such a parallel to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 where scripture says that God laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He laid on this wood on Isaac, and God laid on all of our sins on to Jesus. And then it says that he took, um, and so it says he took fire and he took a knife. You know, there, there was sacrifices for sin. There was, having sin in your life was costly, and, and in order to, 
atone for your sins, you had the sacrifice. And so there was lambs that were being sacrificed all over the place as a symbol of how costly our sin is. And then when Jesus comes, he's the lamb of God. He's the ultimate sacrifice. That's why when you guys come to church in the morning, you're not carrying little lambs with you. You're not coming into the church service with lambs to have them be atoned for, their sin, for your sins because Jesus is the ultimate lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But at this point, they were still doing sacrifices. In verse 7, it takes Isaac, and maybe he was just being respectful, or then he finally realized what's going on here. He spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the bird's offering? You just picture Isaac kind of looking around. Okay, I know we're sacrificing. I've done this many times with my dad before. There's a missing piece here. There's, there's no lamb. There's, there's nothing to sacrifice. What is going on here? And he starts wondering that. And, and Abraham answers him and says, The Lord himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And it's interesting that Isaac doesn't question it. I, I live with a teenager in my house. There are lots of questions that happen, right? But here it doesn't seem like Isaac is questioning. He's just going with, along with what, his father, with what his father says. What an interesting uh, piece of scripture. In verse 9, they reached the place that God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there, and he had built many altars to the Lord, as you remember, as we've been going through uh, all of Genesis. But this was going to be a very different, special altar. He arranged the, uh, the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac. Now, this is really interesting about the obedience of Abraham and the obedience of Isaac. Because you have to remember, Abraham is over 100 years old, well over 100 years old, probably about 120 years old at this point. And he's trying to bind up a person that's 18, 19, 20 years old. And there's no way Abraham could have done that without Isaac also submitting to the Lord. I mean, if he didn't want to be bound up, he wasn't going to be bound up. But because Isaac was being brought up in the godly home, because he learned obedience, he was being obedient to his father. Then verse 10 we start getting into the dramatic movie scene right here. Isaac is all bound up. He's on the altar, and Abraham raises up the knife. You can just hear the dramatic music happening. And then God says, stop. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And I have to tell you, when I read that scripture, and I've read through it many times, when I read it through this week, I thought, wow, Abraham was willing to give up his son. There are so many things in my life that are far less significant than a child that I'm not willing to give up to God. So many times I want to hold on to this, and I want to hold on to that, and my pride gets in the way, and God is calling me to do things, and I argue with him, and I don't want to do it, and I want my comfort, and I don't want to obey, and I want to do it my own way. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah, I, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I'm so thankful for his mercy, because if it was up to just my obedience, I would face death I don't deserve any of the things that God gives me. So he doesn't withhold his son, and then he provides. He provides a burnt offering 
instead of his son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its thorns. He went over to the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering. God provided. I mean, God provides in such amazing ways, doesn't he? I mean, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is I not only get to see it in my own life, but I get to see it in hundreds of lives uh, in our church. That there's so many times where we wonder, what is God doing? How is he working through this? I don't understand his plan. He's calling me to do something. It makes no earthly sense. But when we fall after him, he always provides. Sometimes it's not the way that we think he's going to, but he always provides. And that's why this story, I think, is so important, especially in the time that we're going through right now. Have you noticed that there's protesters in our country? You guys noticed that? It's hard not to turn on the news without seeing some protests, without seeing some riots. I believe that the protesters uh, definitely have one thing right. They believe that the world is broken. I believe that they have that right, Uh, but they don't know the solution. I talk to many, many people and talk to people all the time about what's going on in the world. I think we all agree that the world has trouble, that the world is broken. But I think that many people in the world, they don't know really what the problem is. They have the wrong problem and they have the wrong solution. We as believers in Christ, we know what the problem is. The problem is sin. The problem is in us. The problem is in you. The problem is in I. We sin. We fall short. We don't follow what God wants for us. That's the problem. And the solution is what? What is the solution? That's right. You can say it. Whenever you get asked a question in church, 90% of the time, the answer is Jesus. All right? So just, you can be confident. So what's the solution? That's right. I can hear you at home, too. The solution is Jesus. And who has that solution? Who has that? Us. The church. Brothers and sisters, we have the solution. And so as protesters are going out, as rioters are going out, they recognize there's a problem. They recognize the wrong problem. They recognize the wrong solution. But we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about that for a second. The bad news is that there's the sin of the world. There's sin everywhere. There's sin all around us. And we see that probably now more than ever. The good news is is that Jesus takes it away. He takes away the sin of the world when we trust in him. He's the one that removes it. He's the one that puts that sin on him. He's the one that is the sacrifice. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And when he takes it away, he takes away the guilt of sin. He justifies us. If you heard the word justification, he takes that away. He forgives us. He also breaks the power of sin in our life. He breaks the power of sin and leads us away from sin. That's called sanctification. That's God working in us. That we're always going to struggle with sin, but more and more he's drawing us away from sin and towards him. And he breaks away one day the presence of sin. One day when Jesus comes again, or when we as believers go to him in our death, we'll be in a place where there's no more sin, where there's no more pain, there's no more riots, where there's no more coronavirus, where there's no more hurricanes. There's no more any of that. All there is is all the good things of the world without any of the bad things. A new heaven and a new earth. He's going to take away all of that sin. Listen, have you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Obeying God can be difficult. The first act of obedience that he asks us to do is to put our faith in him. 
He came, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. This picture of Abraham and Isaac is, is showing that. It's pointing towards Jesus. You're being pointed to Jesus. If you're hearing this right now online or here in person, you've never put your faith and trust in him, won't you do that today? It's the most important decision that you could ever make. Because on our own, we are left for dead. On our own, we are in our sin. And we desperately need Jesus. Trust in him. You can do it right uh, where you're at online or right here in your seats. Let someone know about it. We'd love for you to be able to uh, come to know Jesus and live a life where there's joy and peace and obedience. Where he in, in, where he points us to the way that he wants us to go. If you are a believer in Christ, then behold the Lamb of God. John, in his gospel, he calls Jesus lots of different things, but one of the most powerful things that he calls Jesus is the Lamb of God. In verse 29 of chapter 1, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards them, and he said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word behold, we don't use that a whole lot, but it's to see something utterly remarkable. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John is pointing all of the people that are around him to Jesus. That there's no other place to find salvation. There's no other place to find hope. There's no other place to find eternal life but through the Lamb of God. He's the one that takes away the sins of the world. He is the sacrifice that we need to count on. He is the one that we need to give us righteousness and hope and joy and peace. It's really interesting. All through Scripture, the Lamb was of vital importance. And if you look at all the ways that the Lamb is talked about, especially in the Old Testament, it's all pointing to Jesus. See, all lambs for sacrifices had to be brought to Jerusalem. And it's interesting. Most of the lambs that were brought to Jerusalem were raised in Bethlehem. And what an interesting parallel there. And they were offered to the high priest. And often the, the father had to choose the lamb at Passover. And our heavenly father chose Jesus, the lamb of God. The Passover instructions declared one lamb per family. And in Christ, we are all united as one in one family because of what he has done. It took four days to inspect the Passover lamb, and that's the same amount of time that the people of Jerusalem tested and quizzed and challenged Jesus for four days. And those people included the high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others. The sacrifice of the lambs took place in the morning and the evening, typically at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m., that's when the Passover lambs were killed. And if you look at the time that Jesus was placed on the cross, it was at 9 a.m. during the morning sacrifice. And the time that he died was the evening sacrifice at 3 p.m. See, this whole scripture points to Jesus. This whole scripture is having us be focused on what Jesus has done for us. That's why it's so vital. That's why it's so important that we pick up God's word. When we pick up God's word, we see the whole story unfolding. You think about all the different authors, all the different places, over 2,000 years being written, and it all has one unity of Jesus, being the Lamb of God.
want to close with a couple of scriptures this morning in John chapter 15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what it says here in John 15. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Behold the Lamb of God, that we would remain in him. With all the distractions in this world to distract us from remaining in him, from focusing on him, behold the Lamb of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is who we reflect when we behold him. We reflect the light and the hope of Jesus. And don't we need that more than ever? Doesn't our world need that more than ever? That we would behold the Lamb of God. That we would not just gaze at him and gaze at all the ways that he has done amazing things in our world. But we wouldn't hold that to ourselves, but we would share it. That we would believe the Lamb of God, what he's done through his life and death and resurrection. That we would follow after him when we start seeing news uh, across our country that seem like uh, really bad news. That we wouldn't despair because we know the Lamb of God. We know that he's in charge. We know that he's taken away the sins of the world and he's still on his throne. And then we would invite others to fall after the Lamb of God. That we would be gazing at him so much and realizing how much he's done in our lives. Realizing how faithful that he has been. That we would ask others to join and worship the Lamb of God together because we know that there's no other hope Besides worshiping the Lamb of God together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can behold you, the Lamb of God, that we can look and see what you have done. All through Scripture, you've come and you had a plan to rescue us. This plan all throughout Scripture unfolds so that we can see it, so that we can run after you. Lord, I pray that we live lives that will be obedient to you. I pray that we would run to you. I pray that we would realize that without you, we have no hope. We have no chance of peace. We have no eternal life. But with you, we can find hope and joy and peace and eternal life. So I pray that we wouldn't keep that to ourselves, but we would give that to others also. Lord, you are the answer to the problem of sin in our world. With all the chaos going on, you are the Prince of Peace. You are powerful and you are mighty and you are holy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.